Angie Balfour is the Chief People Officer at Weave, a Utah company that just went public last week. She has worked in HR really since high school. More on that in a minute. And before becoming an executive at Weave, she worked as the head of human resources at Instagram, a human resources business partner at Facebook. And before that, she worked all over the world for a company called Fairchild Semiconductor in all aspects of their HR, talent, and leadership management. Today, I'm asking Angie some of the questions that she's helped me with the most over the years when it comes to HR. Everything from how to hire well and how to manage teams effectively, how to intentionally invite more diversity, and how to treat others well who go through a health crisis. Angie also shares with me what she's learned personally in her pursuit of success in her career and what she learned from battling two types of cancer five years ago. Angie has been one of my dearest friends for years, the type of person who I call with advice and always hang up feeling a thousand times better, more empowered and inspired, and I'm certain she'll leave you feeling the same way today too. Angie, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, I'm so excited. I was just thinking, it's so fun going from friends and roommates when they're early on in our careers and now seeing all your success with your family and your business. Super fun. Thanks for inviting me. Oh my gosh. That's so fun for me too, to watch everything that you've done. And now you're this like superhero female executive, and I just can't (laughs) wait to talk about all the things. (laughs) So yeah. So Angie and I met years ago, right before I, well, probably about the start, the time I started dating Neil and we went to church together. It was like a congregation of only single people. And I remember you were my Sunday school teacher. You taught these incredible lessons. That's right. I, thought, I, was. I really want to, I wanted to be friends with you. I thought this girl, I love her energy. I love her enthusiasm for the gospel. And I just really wanted to be your friend. So I'm just super grateful for yeah. and we the years of friendship. Friends. Yeah. We All lived of- together. Yeah. Always been a fan of Neil. Like, I think you lived with me right before you got married. Like, yes. Yes. Super fun. Yes. So awesome. Okay. So tell me what led you to be in HR and why that was interesting to you and and how you got into that path. Um, It started in high school. (laughs) I, it didn't start with a crush from high school, which is so funny, but my crush in high school was the president of some business club. And I mean, he wasn't interested in me, but I was interested in him. But he came up to me one day and said, hey, if we go compete in this business competition, then we can take the rest of the day off and we can play in downtown Salt Lake City. Do you want to do it? And I said, yeah. And he goes, good. I've already signed you up. I'm doing marketing oh, wow. and you're doing HR. And I said, well, what is HR? And he goes, I don't know, but just go. We're not trying to win. We're just trying to get out of school. And I was like, okay, cool. Oh, my gosh. And... So I did this competition. I think I was a junior, a junior or senior, and um, it was just solving people problems in business. And it was like scenarios, and and you would write stuff out, and sometimes they would just do like a, an oral kind of question you in front of a panel. And anyway, I won it. I won it. I went to nationals, which was Detroit, Michigan, such a big deal at the time. Wow. And but after I won it the vice president, I think believe of JC Penny local, someone you taught at the time, pulled me aside and said, you're really good at solving people problems, but thinking like a business person, whenever you go to college or you're a senior, so I guess I was a senior, whatever school you go to, we promise me you'll take two HR classes. And I said, yeah. And it was just this, I have tried to find this woman. Literally, I tried to go back. I called, I just never been able to find your word, but it 
her comment and giving probably a more insecure 17 or 18 year old at the time, like a compliment and telling me I was good at something and I should explore it for a career kind of changed the course of my life. So then I took all these classes and then that competition allowed, I won an internship in HR is what happened. And so I started doing an internship at 18 and then just kept building on that. So I've always been in HR. I'll always be in HR. You and I've talked about this. I love my job. I really, really love like the industry and the, um, and I love being in tech HR. I love it. That's amazing. That is so cool. I had no idea that it started when you were 17 years old. Yeah, so I declared my major and never changed it, really. (laughs) (laughs) That is rare, too. Most people, you know, switch several times, myself included. So after that, you had, you know, tell me about your path and how you got to being literally an executive now. Well, really, it was, I, I started out my first internship, I was just doing employee paper files and I was organizing them and cleaning them up. And it was so tedious, but I was so excited to be going to um, a business. I thought it was so neat at 18 to have this job. And I, I got my master's with an MBA and my undergrad is in HR and my MBA has an HR emphasis. Um, And so I got those and all along I was doing um, HR internships. By the time I finished my undergrad, I had five, um, I went and worked wow. for a while. I was going to go off to grad school. My company was that I was working for at the time um, said, hey, if you'll stay and not go off to grad school, we'll pay for you to go to night school up at the University of Utah. So I did that in their professional program. Um, so I was working and going to school. And the truth is, I I like people problems. I like solving them. I like doing things with relationships and influence. But I really like business. And I like... I like numbers. I like data. I don't want to crunch it all the time, but I want it to make good decisions. And so I just kept taking on these assignments that nobody wanted to do. (laughs) And I just, and, and then they'd be like, I don't want to do that because that's impossible or you're set up to fail. And I'd be like, oh, we'll just try it. And so I think I always ended up taking an assignment that felt a little bit bigger, um, a -hmm. little with um, the odds stacked against you of getting something. And I just kept learning. And I worked with really good people. I worked with really people who would kind of let me into their sphere and let me kind of, they were mentors. And so I kept taking on more and more assignments. And then at the time, and you and I, you know this, I, I'm single, I have no kids and still back then was the same. And they would give me like, Hey, we just acquired this company in rural Pennsylvania. We need someone to go spend a year there and, and help. And I was like, oh, I'll do that. And so I just kept, and so I got really good at dropping into new situations, establishing relationships, and then moving forward. And so I just started doing it. So I did enough internships to find out I really like the HR business partner role, which is kind of being um, just what it says, like HR partners with business and clients internally to help them be successful. And so I just did a lot of that. And then I was at one company, which was tech, but it was more hardware um, for 14 Mm -hmm. years. And I lived all over in East Coast, uh, Utah, spent some time in Asia and Europe, a lot of travel there for about three years and just kept taking on different responsibilities like the site level and then bigger and then a whole division. And and then it was actually in the house that we lived at together. Um, I was living Mm -hmm. there and they called me and said, Hey, your mentor has taken another job outside the company. We need you to move to the top division in California. We need you to start in two weeks. And I, I just said, yes. I said, okay. (laughs) 
Yeah. And so I sold it. I was out there and I was out there for about a year. And then I got a friend, um, Gloria. I met her at a, at some kind of barbecue and she needed a ride to the airport. I just met her and she happened to work at Facebook and we were driving, swapping funny HR stories. Cause when you are in HR, you have a million of them. They're just funny. I'm sure. And she was yes. also HR at Facebook. And so we were just swapping stories. And then she called me like a couple of months later and said, Hey, I wanted to refer you to a role at at Facebook, I think you would do really well there. And I said, no, if you can believe that. I was too busy. Oh, wow. I was overwhelmed. I had a mm-hmm. couple of big projects. And she called me back the next day and gave me the best advice. She said, it's okay to turn down an offer, but I don't think you should turn down the opportunity interview. So just come and interview, see if it's something that you would like. And then I joined Facebook. And then after about a year, year and a half there, um, they were just looking for Instagram, who they had recently acquired to kind oh, of... Yeah scale them. And so then I joined Instagram and then, um, I was there for several years and then, um, decided to come back to Utah. Um, and now I work at a place called Weave. So that's a little bit about, about my role. So incredible. It's so inspiring. And I hope to, I don't know that I'll get my girls to listen to this at, at <laughs> nine and six and three, but I hope that someday I can have them listen to this interview and be inspired by you. And by, I, I mean, I remember, learning, not from my parents, but from some church leaders and some people in the culture in Utah of, you know, get an education just in case you have to work or, you know, figure out what you'll do in case your husband doesn't, you know, if he dies or something. I, I mean, I remember learning things like that. And I feel like, no, I want my girls to know that they can learn and become and do whatever they want to do. And so it sounds like you really had that innately. Was there something in your childhood or from your parents that kind of grew that confidence so that when you had those opportunities, you didn't shy away from them? You know what? I think um, my mom was a school teacher and then we had eight kids in my family. So she stopped teaching. When you have eight kids, you usually, she, she I don't think yeah. she was going to do daycare for eight kids, right? So she, she stayed home with us. And I think my mom really helped me feel confident in school because she was a teacher and was probably helping me a lot more than I even realized when I was really young. And so I always felt really confident in school. And my parents just always talked about education and what did I want to do? And were really encouraging of internships. And, you know, they just they wanted me to to figure things out. And so I felt really lucky in that way. But I would say you talk about your daughters and I mean, I know you pretty well, but I think they're seeing you and Neil run this business. And, you know, so I feel like they have um, a great example right in their own home, but feel free to let them listen to this. But I feel like they've got a front row seat at success for sure. So I think for me, that was it. But I, I liked business. I liked solving problems. I remember I did one internship and they said, well, it'll be impossible. What we'd really like you to do is hire 800 people in the next six months. And I was like, well, how many did you hire last time they did this project? They're like, oh, we only had to hire 250. And I was like, oh, and I was just an intern. It was me, another intern. And we did it. I ended up, it took me nine months. I ended up um, delaying school that semester. Um, But I I just kind of liked figuring things out. And if you give me the freedom, I can usually figure things out because hopefully I just look around at people who will help me. And I think people, when you're a hard worker, they want you to be successful. Like people are happy to help someone who's a hard worker. I feel like that's true. And I think I have a good work ethic. And I think my parents really taught us that. So I think I have a pretty strong work ethic. That's what I would say. That's awesome. 
So you've talked a few times about solving problems. You just said that you hired hundreds of people. I have called you for hiring advice. And there's so many things I want to cover today, but I do really want to talk to you about some of your tips for hiring people and for interviewing and for doing that well, because that's something that intimidates me every time I have to do it. Well, I think number one, when you're hiring, before you hire someone, figure out what you really want out of the role. So sometimes we just label it, but we don't describe what we're looking for. But you really need to like type it out. What are you looking for? And then what are the responsibilities they're going to have? Because for twofold, one, as you look at and you start to evaluate them, you can say, could they do these projects I'm thinking of or this kind of responsibility? And then two, it it entices them. Like if you're saying, hey, if you join my company, these are the kind of projects you'll be working on. I also think it's really important. So when you're hiring for someone, Sometimes people will say like, we want to hire for a culture fit or things like that. And I think it's important, but sometimes that's something that we say so that we hire a lot of people like us. And so I think you have to be really careful. What you're looking for is you're looking for someone who can come in and work in the ways that you're set up to be successful at your company. So I always say there's the way at a company that people say things get done. And then there's the way to really get stuff done in like, so for instance, you can think of the way your your people that are the most successful, how they work, whether it's the relationships they have with certain vendors or agencies or whatever, just like with my company, it's like, can they work in a certain way to move quickly and be really efficient? And so you, you want to make sure, I think that's the thing that you're looking for. Can they be successful? But more importantly, you have to say, can I help them be successful? Because you want to bring in diversity. You want to bring in people that have a, a diverse background. And, and I don't mean just some of the official like protected classes when you think about that from a legal standpoint, race, Mm -hmm. um, you know, sex, things like that. But also like someone that has a a different way of thinking because you know that that person that you hire that just makes you look at things differently. I have like two people on my team. Every time I talk to them, they just look at it differently than I ever will. And it's so valuable. So I think that's really important. But I also think when you're hiring people, I think it's really good to talk about your styles. I always ask people... Like, what are you looking for in this next move? What is it that you're, what is it that in six months or a year, you'll know this was a successful move for your career because you had this opportunity? Like, what, what does success look like for you? What are you looking for? Because everyone leaves looking for something. So you want to make sure yeah. you can align that. I think the other thing is making sure you get feedback from other team members. I think that's super important. And then yes. I also think one of the most important things you can do is, Ask them specific questions of how they've problem solved in the past, because mm. anyone can give you a pretty great answer that sounds good. But when you talk about getting right. into specifics, I think it just lets you know how their mind works. And um, I remember I interviewed somebody and all of my team did, and we were talking about it. And they're like, hey, the way they tackled that project was different than we would ever solve it. And I was like, yeah, but don't we, don't we feel like we need somebody like that? And they're like, yeah, I guess you're right. And so that person's been super successful. So I think things like that. And then I really think your onboarding is really important. Some people think, oh, I hired the wrong person. They're not successful in the first 90 days at my company, but you have to look at how is your onboarding and like, how are you helping them become successful? So anyway, those are some of my tips. Those are so good. What do you have like a couple top tips for successful onboarding? 
Well, I think when you're onboarding people, I always have a buddy that's not their boss that they can talk with. I think that's important. And we and we don't do this across that. every aspect of my company, but we're starting to do it more across a larger scale. But I always do it in my own teams and we're kind of rolling them out. So it's someone that they can ask to, whether it's like, I don't remember where the bathroom is to where do I find that information on the internet? Like, I don't know where that is or, you know, so it's just someone they can ask. So they don't feel always foolish just in front of their boss. I think as a boss though, you need to meet with them quite regularly to just make sure that you're giving them context on things. And hopefully I want them to feel approachable and ask me silly questions, but I also feel like people want somebody else to. I always tell my people, if you want to onboard really successful, you invest in relationships the first 30 days. So it's, you don't roll out a whole new program or something or launch something totally new because you don't know enough, but it's the relationships and the people that you need. And so I make a list of everyone that they should be in contact with and how they do that. And then also just making sure that um, they they have context for what's happened previously and where you're going in the future. I think things like that really help people be successful. And then I feel really strongly about this. When people join a company for about 90 days, they have like, I don't know what you would call it, but new employee or, you know, a new lens. They're, they're looking at it. They've come in and, and they may highlight for you like, hey, why do we do it this way? And you may be able to easily explain, oh, we do it that way because we're set up and here's why and here's the reasons. But there's been several times where I'm like, I don't know. I guess we've never thought of that before. You're right. That's silly. Yeah. Let's make a note of that. Could you help us improve that? And I think it's really totally. to, to get their feedback early. So those are some of the things. Yes. Well, and you told me, I remember going to lunch with you at Facebook. One of the times I visited you there. Yeah, we had fun. You all, we would take you around. It was fun. So much fun. I remember you telling me when I said, what are the teams that are doing things the best? What are they doing right? What's like the thing that you see across the board that that is consistent among people who are working well together? And you said that it was people who felt comfortable giving feedback to their superiors or something to that yeah. effect. And so how do you create that kind of a culture? Well, I think a lot, it usually starts at the top as far as like, are you asking for feedback and how are you responding in tense moments? So I have to give you, and I'll, I'm going to out myself for something I think you have to take feedback when you get it. I was talking with one of my employees. I was kind of frustrated with something recently. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't think I'm communicating. Like, I just, I feel like I've set this expectation. We're not getting this over the finish line. It's got to be me. I'm the leader. I'm the one who's asking Mm -hmm. for it. And I can usually get things done and I'm doing something wrong. (laughs) One of my coworkers said to me, well, and actually she's one of my direct reports. She said, well, are you being intense, frustrated Angie or normal Angie that's like helpful and problem solving and like in it with somebody? Because if you're just being frustrated, Angie, it's kind of intimidating. And I thought, you're right. You're right. I probably, my frustration is meaning that I'm not, I'm not understanding the real problems and the barriers that are preventing us from moving this project along. So I called up the person I've been working with and I said, Hey, I'm really sorry. I've made a mistake here. I know you're highly capable. You're one of my top Um, people that work for me. And I'm asking you to do something and I know you're capable of it. So I don't think I'm either not communicating or I'm not giving you enough freedom to make this your own. What's going on here? And she shared with me that what I was asking for, she already had a process in place and I had asked for a few extra things that just had overly complicated it. And Mm -hmm. as I said, oh, okay, we'll do it your way. And then could you get me this information at the end? of this project. She's like, yeah, is that okay? And I said, yeah, that's fine. Let's move on. 
and it's worked really well. And the biggest thing was I needed to remove myself from it. And so I think it's about taking feedback and then being open and apologizing at times, but also I really believe in hiring people who are smarter than you. And I, when I say that some people get confused, like if you, the people that you hire and Corinne, I, I think I've said this to you, in fact, I know I have, I'm like, hire someone smarter than you. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. they're smarter than you after you've run this company for a while and you're leading it. But I hired an HR director who was way better as an HR director than I was when I was an HR director. Does that make sense? And so yeah, I, there, and I believe in surrounding yourself with people, peers, people who report into you, people that, um, you know, you report, I believe in surrounding yourself with people smarter than you and then listening to them. And when I've made my biggest mistakes, I didn't listen to them. I was talking over them or I already got in my head what it should look like. And I didn't allow them to use their knowledge, their creativity, their problem solving skills to make it better. So that's what I would say. I love that. Is there anything else that you feel like teams who work together they're all doing this thing consistently. I will say one of the things I'll talk about my current team right now, because I really love this team and I'm really proud of the team. I hired really good leaders under me and they have hired excellent people under them. And then we um, have some people that have also been here, even when I started that they're awesome too. One of the things is they jump in and they help each other and they're not keeping um, tabs on who's doing what, but it's like, if there's a need, then they will stop and help and make sure that 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 everyone on the team is successful. And so my mom used to always say, because we had eight kids, um, she's like, we're not an even Steven family. We go where the need is. So you might have a need this month or this day and your sister is going to be tomorrow or in the future. And that's how we're going to run this. We're not keeping track of what everyone gets every day and being perfectly even. And I, I think that's also the case in business. Um, we were just uh, solving some problems and my boss said, hey, we need to make sure that we are really aware of the departments that need something a little bit extra right now and go there and solve that problem. We don't treat everybody the same all the time. We go where the need is. Um, And I think that's important too. So, yeah, I love that. I, there's a quote that I've seen a few times that says something to the effect of it's amazing how much we can get done if we're not worried about who gets the credit. Yeah. It's something like that. And I love it every time I, in fact, it's in my accountant's office. Every time I go to see her once a year, I read that. Oh, and see, I like that. You know, it's on a little plaque in her office. And I always think, I love that. Oh, so can I tell you one other thing too? I do think, yes. and this is something I'm trying to get better at. I think empathy always makes us better personally or professionally. And just yeah. the other day I was listening. We have um, a customer support line and they do a great job at my company, but I was listening to this person taking these calls and solving these problems with customers. And I just had like so much empathy for what they were doing and how complex the problems could be and everything was funneling into them. And I do think having empathy for each other, even though you might not know everything, but um, I think that makes us more likely to to help each other. So it, it changed my perspective as I got off the phone and was just listening to that call. Yeah. Okay. Perfect transition into, I would love to talk about how you went through cancer while you were working for Facebook or Instagram, one of the two. And I know that you told me that they were just wonderful to you. So I'd love to hear about that experience and what you think people, I want to hear about what that was like for you. And then also what people can learn from what you feel like they did that was so helpful for you. If anyone who is you know, they have people that work for them and they go through something like that. Yeah. 
Um, you know what? I will say, um, I think first and foremost, what I loved about working at Instagram and Facebook. So just so everyone knows, Facebook owns Instagram. And so it, when you mm-hmm. work for Instagram, you also have responsibilities on the Facebook side. So when I had to leave, I was out for six months. And as you know, I was, it, it kind of caught me off guard. It just kind of came on really suddenly. And I was yes. sick one day, went to the doctors. And within a week, I had two forms of cancer and was starting treatments and surgeries and things like that. I think number one, everything stopped that day. Like I said, Hey, I need to transition stuff. And they're like, actually you don't like, we'll take care of it. Well, um, one of my good friends actually said, I'm going to take over your team. I'm going to help do this for you. Um, don't even worry about it. There was so much empathy from my leadership. They checked on me all the time. And I would say that I had tons of visitors. The most visitors were probably my coworkers and I have great friends and family, but they, they came and they thought about me and they would do it in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it would be flowers. Sometimes it would be, I remember someone sent me like chicken noodle soup one day that just out of the blue, someone, um, mm. I had a friend um, who just sent me a, a little positive thought every single day for six months, which is really hard to do. Um, wow. And that wasn't someone I worked with, but it was, it, it was something during that, that I, I really remembered of he was really perceptive of what I needed and what he could do and things like that. I also think that they were really supportive of me taking care of myself, but me feeling involved. And as soon as I was ready to come back, they really helped me. And then they actually pulled me in to give feedback on how the benefits had been during my cancer. And then based on the feedback of me and a few others, they actually tweaked the benefits the next year so that they can wow. meet your needs better during that. But I think the most important thing when someone's going through something hard is to just check in on them in the way that works for them. So sometimes people do want to visit. Sometimes they want to text. Sometimes it's an, an email that they can read later. But I think I always was felt really thought of. And I will tell you, that kind of seared my heart to that company because they were so good to me. Um, yeah. And I remember the day I returned, I walked into my first meeting and they all cheered. And it was just, Aww. I just felt really loved. And um, yeah. Yeah. And they were really good about helping me have kind of a, a part-time entry until I had all my stem in the back. So I really appreciated that. That is so cool. Yeah. So tell me what that was like for you personally, not just professionally. Yeah. What you know learned. what? At the time it was, it was shocking to be honest with you. And then you're thrown into this world where you're making like, it feels like really, I've said this before, but it's like high stakes decisions, but you don't know anything about it. So they're like, Hey, yeah. here's two treatment options. And you're just, and you're like, I don't know for sure which one I want to do. So you, you have to make sure you have the right doctors and you've gotten second opinions. And then um, you're, and so it, I think it was pretty stressful, but there was a lot of good things that came out of it. One, I really learned to stop and focus on myself and I wasn't doing really good self-care. I was kind of putting myself for sure at the lowest of everything that else was going on in my life. And so just to stop for six months and kind of focus on my health was was good for me. I also think I had, I had to be so vulnerable. And you know me, I, I str- I'm not the most vulnerable person. I think I've learned over time, but I, I really was pretty independent and felt like I had a handle on my life. And all of a yeah, sudden- Yeah, you're so capable. You're so, you're a, this hardworking, capable, confident woman. Well, so, I think yeah. that would become an identity of this independence. And I could, I was, I could help and serve other people and, and, and mm-hmm. do different things. And so all of a sudden, I mean, I couldn't even blow dry my own hair. I would have to take a two hour nap after I, because of just 
after certain treatments, just using the blow dryer would wipe me out for two hours. I remember being like, I can't blow dry my own hair and crying. And it was kind of overwhelming. But I will say that my sisters, my other family, my friends, I, it was 16 weeks of needing real, like someone with me. And I lived out of state. So I wasn't living in Utah at the time I was in California. And within 24 hours, all my friends from like high school, junior high, undergrad, grad school, sisters filled up 16 weeks worth and they just took care of me. And so I had to learn to be really vulnerable. And then um, with our religion, our congregations will do what they call a fast. And it's where they, Mm -hmm. you know, don't eat for a period of time and later contribute that money and an offering, but they're praying and fasting on your behalf. And they had to do one from our congregation did it just for me, which was really, it, it was a little too, it felt like a lot at the time. It was like telling everyone that you had cancer. I hadn't shared with anyone. It'd been a month and, but it was really good for me to let other people um, show me how much they cared about me. And, and then it really makes you have a lot of empathy for when people go through something hard. I have to tell you, um, and we haven't even talked about this because it's been a few weeks. This has just happened the last couple of weeks, but about two weeks ago, I got a call. My phone was ringing during work a lot. And so I stepped out and it was a friend of mine, a couple, and he lived out of state. I'm living in Utah right now. And he had just been diagnosed with cancer and he, they needed mm-hmm. to come out to Huntsman. That's the only mm-hmm. place that they doctor felt like they'd get the right treatment, but they needed to start in three days. And oh, they were wow. like, we need a place to stay. And I had just built a home. And so I said, Oh, and they were just like, we haven't talked in five years. <laughs> But we mm-hmm. need a place to stay. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, come stay with me because I have room at my house. And so I, they've been at my house and they're for all of November, they're out here. Um, and then they're going someplace else in December. But so they've been living at my house and I've been able to talk with them about my experience and kind of warned them about a few things and even telling them about like taking care of He's like, what advice would you give him? Like, take care of your mental health. I was really good at mm. fighting cancer, but the year after was really hard for me because I didn't immediately go into counseling. I should have. And so he's already started finding a counselor and is like, oh, thank you. And then we talked about different things. It has been, cancer has been so much more meaningful the last two or three weeks. Like there is a lot more purpose in that suffering when you can help somebody else. And, and I, it, it really kind of changed even my, my perspective. You know, I believe in God and I believe in the savior and I was like, oh, this is how God and the Savior feel about me. Like they, like the Savior felt like it was purposeful suffering for him when he can help me get through something really hard. And so I don't need to feel embarrassed to have him help me. He wants to help me. He has perfect empathy. And the wife of this couple said to me recently, we're not quite sure how to pay you back. Like we've been talking, but we're just not quite sure. And I was like, you know what? I couldn't pay the people back who took care of me when I had cancer. I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the perspective. I was just in survival mode. And so were you. So what you can do is pay it forward. And like this opportunity came five years later after I'd finished up my cancer treatments, but it is so purposeful and it's really changed. I don't know. It just changed the experience for me. I wouldn't have thought five years later, cancer would mean something different, but in the last month it really has. So it's been cool. That's just beautiful. Thank you for sharing such a personal story. That's so Uh, cool. And I think, too, what's also profound about what you're sharing is that it didn't come immediately, that you had to hold that that trauma and that thing that you went through for so many years before it made sense later on what God's purpose was for you to go through that. 
Yeah, I mean, so, there's been lots of layers to it, but this one for sure has been the most meaningful. And I didn't, I just kind of came out of the blue. Yeah, that's so cool. Okay, I really want to go a little bit back to career mode yeah, and sure. talk about what it was like going to the New York Stock Exchange and oh, yeah. ringing the bell and all of yeah. that. You did that with Weave a week ago? Yeah. Two weeks ago? So, um there's just so much history at the New York Stock Exchange and it's such a, a rare moment to have. So it was not lost on me. And we, I was there with um, a lot of people that I really love and respect. And, and so it was, it was a surreal moment and it, it makes you realize like how much work that the people in your company, those who are currently there and those that are previously had done. And so it was surreal. It was in New York Stock Exchange has, this whole history. In fact, once you ring the opening bell, which our CEO did, then as you walk back down, there's this wall of everyone who's ever done that and you get to sign it. And there's all of these like different leaders that, uh, you know, were there when their companies went public and you're signing the wall. So it was really, really neat. And I think it was fun to celebrate. It was kind of a surreal moment. I had never even thought that it wasn't even like a lifelong goal. Like it would, it's just such a rare opportunity, but um, I was grateful for it. So yeah, it was really neat. It was was really fun. That's so cool. So if you had to look at your future and figure, not figure out, but just look for some of the things that you hope to be able to do, are there any things that I don't know that you feel comfortable sharing that are yeah. goals or aspirations. Yeah. I, so I think there's a couple of things. I, I really believe like from a career standpoint, I've never been someone who's like, I want this position or this title. That just is not necessarily what motivates me, but I have a goal that I never have the same year twice. So if, if I'm in a role mm. where it looks like I'm going to like, literally I can see exactly what the next 12 months look like then I mean, I, I immediately make some kind of a change or twist so that I'm always feeling fulfilled. So less about title or things like that, but always, I mean, in the future, I've worked with different board members. And so I'm like, oh, this is really interesting work. Maybe I'd like to be like on a board one day. Um, I've thought about doing some like executive consulting. In fact, I had um a couple of people I've worked with the different jobs were like, hey, if you ever just want to go out on your own and be with some executive consulting, I would love, you know, I'd love to be one of your clients. So maybe I'll do that one day. Um, I yeah. have a dream. I really want to, I don't quite put it all together, but I want to do something for um, foster kids who age out of the system mm. that really allows them to be on scholarships and get not just internships for school, but internships for life skills and be able to get exposure to different people as they're learning these life skills. I had a a friend and when she explained to me how the system works and kids who have often already been at a huge disadvantage. And, you know, when we went off to college, you had your parents' house you would come back to in the summer so you could work or over and they don't have any kind of support system. And so um, I'm putting it together. It's going to take me a couple more years to figure it out, but I'd like to use my network to really, I'd like to put, I don't have any of my own kids and you know that, um, but I would love to put a certain number of kids through school and then start some kind of program where um, 
there's some scholarships that we can offer and then I can use my network to kind of do that. So I haven't quite worked it out. I've been talking with a few people lately who are more familiar with the foster system. And I think I have a couple of good ideas of how I can start small and expand it. And then um, personally, I have on this journey for really to be in the best shape of my life. I've started working out and working with the trainer and I talked about that. Um, and I've never been an athlete, but this trainer is like, no, no, you're going to be an athlete. You are an athlete. And I've never thought of myself. So um, I heard this great advice that you should give yourself a new title or label every year to become that person. And I've, ne- you know me, oh. I get kind of self-conscious. I'd never want to play a lot of sports. It's just not my thing. I like I like the social aspect of sports, but I'm not particularly coordinated. And so um, I'm, me too. Yeah. I just, I mean, I, <laughs> my biggest fear in life is playing softball, you know, whereas I can speak in front of a million people or I'm happy to run a company, but please don't make me play softball. Cause I get so self-conscious, but I'm learning how to be an athlete. And so that's something that I, I, I would love to be in great shape. And then I would love to be married. I think at this point I'll probably be a stepmom or a step grandma or whatever that means. And I still think it's kind of fun that one of the most exciting things like falling in love and having that relationship with your person is still in my future. So I'm always excited yeah. about that. Yeah. I love that. And I love that. I love your optimism and your excitement yeah. and that you haven't gotten like, you know, gone the other way, been negative about it. I've, I feel like you've always been really positive and excited and, yeah, I, and looked forward to that. I think everyone has different timing in their life. Like we talked earlier about how I knew kind of my career at 18, what I wanted to do. And, and it just, it's been something that's been so fulfilling we all have certain things in our life that come a little easier or they occur a little sooner. And then some mm-hmm. things are a little more delayed. And I think that's just the one that's a little bit delayed for me, but I'm excited about it. I feel, I feel like it's not too far away. We'll see. I love that so much. Okay. I, I did really want to ask you, Angie, about diversity because that was a really meaningful conversation that we had when, you know, June of 2020, when the whole world kind of blew up over Black Lives Matter yeah. and, I feel like that's been a tricky thing for me to to get that diversity into our company. We have some, but I feel like it can be hard when, like you said before, you kind of ha- have a network of people who are similar to you. You hang out with people who are similar to you. If you live in certain places or you go to church or you just kind yeah. of automatically surround yourself with the same type of people. What is your advice to me or anyone else who, I mean, you live in Utah where I've heard many different business owners say it's hard for them to find that. And even like our company's all virtual, so we can reach anywhere, but it is harder to break out of that mold if it's like, you know, people who know people who know people who are all very similar. Yes. So I think there's a couple of things here. And the number one thing I would say is I do not have all the answers, but I've asked and learned from other people. So I want to be really clear about that. This is like an ongoing something to learn and grow from. A couple of things that have resonated with me and that I continue to kind of focus on. One, I think if you want to expand the diversity like in your company, and I would argue in your life, like if you, you know, like it is, I think it has, it's an intentional decision. So I think it is intentional to expand your network. I remember I attended some networking events um, uh, with different groups where it might focus on like Hispanic um, people in the HR community or African-American or black, or it was veterans or things like that. And And when I go into those spheres or those conferences or those meetups, 
I know that that's not me and that I'm coming in and that I, but you know what, that is, that's important because it's important that I look at that and that I make sure that I'm being intentional about my own network. So I think that's important Mm -hmm. one. And then the other thing is when it comes to hiring, which you were talking about a little earlier, it usually takes a little longer to spend the time to bring in. I think the most important thing is to bring in diverse final candidates. That means Mm -hmm. that it doesn't mean that necessarily everyone you choose will be diverse and it shouldn't be. You want to choose the best candidate, but if you bring in diverse finalists, meaning they have hit the bar, they have all the the requirements that you need in their, their final candidate. And at least one or two of them are diverse. You have a, the numbers say, if you bring in two final candidates, your options to have more diverse in your team go up quite a bit. So I think it's you be intentional. It takes a little more time. And then I also think that it's, it's a long game. I remember one of my companies, we, I remember for three years, we felt like we were just spinning, just, we weren't getting any traction. We were making these goals, but we were, the numbers weren't reflective. Um, we didn't feel like we had, it wasn't just about bringing in people that are diverse, but it's like, Hey, what is the situation when they come into your company? Can you retain them? Can you help them flourish, help them be successful? Uh, And then can you amplify their voices so that you're creating these leaders and that people that feel comfortable? And so you have to look at all these inner workings. And for three years, we tried a lot of things that didn't work and tried some things that did. And then in about year four, it just started to click. Hmm. We had figured out um, how to set up our recruiting so that we were getting a lot more diversity in as final candidates. We had put the right things in place internally so that people that were um, maybe felt like, I remember somebody um, we brought in and she was an African-American and she said, I just feel like I have some community. You've, you've built a group or a team or a resource group where I can I have people that I can go to and I feel like I have some community here and I don't feel alone. And then make sure that we had a way to help develop those individuals and meet them where they were at, what they needed, which is sometimes different based on different people's backgrounds so that they could be great leaders there. And so I think you, you got to figure that out. If someone had figured it out completely. And if it was me, I would put anything I was doing and sell that and and bring that to the masses. So I think it's something that we're trying to do better, but I, I think the most important thing is, and those of us who have, I think, privilege. And sometimes that's a word that makes people uncomfortable, but I I have had privilege. I have two parents who were well-educated, who valued education, who supported me, you know, and financially at, well, I guess I was on scholarship, but they supported me in the summers when I was doing my internship that I had a place to come back and stay and I didn't have to pay rent and mm-hmm. things like that. And then they were supportive of helping me look at more opportunities. And so I think it's important that when you have any kind of privilege or the roles that I have now as an executive, that I'm I'm making sure that I'm taking that privilege and making sure that I'm opening up more doors. Because I remember when I was 23, right out of school, I think of the company I was at at that time, there were no female executives on that executive board. There was none. And then yeah. about in my, about 10 years into it, I started to see some VPs that were women and at my companies and things like that. And then when I was at Facebook and Instagram, there was a lot more and, and those women, and by the way, my mentors have been women. They have been men. They have been of all different races. Like I've been really lucky in that people have 
brought me into their sphere and brought me into rooms that I had no business being in. I wasn't qualified to be there, but they wanted Mm -hmm. to give me experience and exposure. And so I think it's important that I make sure I'm creating those opportunities for people as well, both within my company, but also just in the day to day. So anyway, those are some of my thoughts. I love that. And I love that you are, like I said before, a good example to so many other young girls who can look at you and say, okay, she's She's an executive, a female executive at a company that just went public. And I can do that someday too. Yeah. So. I, and you know what? I tell you what, if I can do it, anyone can do it. That's what I'm proof of. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, Angie, I have one last question for you. Uh, if there's one message that you want the people listening to this episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be? Oh, that's a great question. I think the message that I want people to know is... I have found that we can all make a difference wherever we are. And so many times we compare each other, especially like our weaknesses to someone else's strengths or um, or over-romanticizing or glamorizing somebody else's life. But wherever you're at, you can make a difference with an individual. And I think that when I start to feel hopeless and we talked about, there's so much going on in the world right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. There are some social initiatives that changes that need to happen. And people are trying to figure out how to make our world a better place for future generations. And I think what's important to remember is when I feel really hopeless, action gives me optimism. So it may not be the biggest thing. It's never going to be on the news. It's never going to be posted anywhere. And that's fine. But I can make an individual difference in my individual interactions on the teams where I'm at on um, the community service that I do within my own family. I think that uh, everyone has the ability to make a difference. And at different times, we have different platforms or different opportunities. Um, But I feel like some of the I benefited from the most are that people were willing to just make a difference in my life in very ways that may not have even seen that important at the time, but it really changed. Like that woman who told me I was, I should go take, do HR or, you know, the, the kind words that people have said or the doors they've let me in in my career have been really good. And then the great things that my, you know, I have a wonderful family and they're so good to me and I appreciate that. So anyway, that's what I would say. Well, you've made such a difference in my life over and over and I just, truly count you as one of my dearest friends. So thank you for sharing that with so many other people because, you know. It has been so fun to see what you have done with this business. In fact, I remember you talking in a previous job about, hey, I think there's something here. Maybe I could do something with the business and you're talking about social media and different aspects. And then to see not just like the great things that you've done, but like how you're changing people's lives with this podcast and how you're so real and authentic. And as someone who's known you a long time, people get the same Corinne on a podcast, on a post or in a conversation. And I love that you've done that. And um, I think people are lucky to to get to spend as much time with you as they do. So really inspiring. It's fun. Thank you. Thanks, Angie. You're so good to me. Okay. Do you have like public platforms or anywhere people can follow you if they want to follow along with, I don't know, an Instagram or Twitter oh, or anything like sure. that. Sure. Um, I am on uh, Instagram, Ange Balf. That's, that's me. And then I'm on Facebook um, and then I'm on LinkedIn if anyone wants to connect professionally. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll put those in the show notes okay. too. So perfect. Thanks so much, Angie. Um, you're the best. For doing okay. This. Love you. 
Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.